Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up or they'll they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, Call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE. Or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. I know so many of you have been waiting for this special where we are going to expose China where we're going to talk extensively about China, where we've been, where we are, where we're going. 
But since it's me, we need to open this thing a different way. Have you ever dated somebody just absolutely smoking hot? Gorgeous. And you're thinking, man, this is, this is awesome. She's just gorgeous. And then you've been on a couple dates, and it turns out she, she's into cocaine? And then you go on another couple dates, and you find out she's got an ex-boyfriend who's about to get out of prison? And you can't seem to shake her after a while, and then soon you find out she's pouring rat poison into your coffee every single morning. That's China. That's been us in China. And it's important that we understand that so much of this is our fault, is our poor decision making. And it is time, and I'm grateful President Trump realizes this, it is time to pull us out of that relationship. We have gotten ourselves ingrained with China and China hates our guts. They're pouring rat poison in our coffee every single morning. They are plotting on us. They are damaged. They are evil. They are bad for us in every possible way. Obviously, I'm not talking about the one billion plus Chinese people. I am talking about the communist government of China. They are our enemies. And it's, it's really funny. When I say we're ingrained, when I was talking about the relationship thing, we are in a relationship with them. We get that, right? How odd this entire situation is that they openly write papers talking about how their plan is to take over the world by 2050. That's right. China is open about this. They're open about the fact they consider us their enemies. They don't even really hide the fact or apologize when we catch spies, Chinese spies in our country, way high up in our government. They're all like, well, yeah. We're enemies. What do, you, what do you think we were doing? That's China. And yet, we do business with them all the time. We have American corporations flat out sending their factories over there. We buy up all these cheap Chinese goods. China, in turn, is buying up all of our debt. They own a trillion dollars of our debt. Not that that's even a lot anymore compared to how much we've piled up. It is the most bizarre relationship I've ever seen. Both parties hate each other. It's terrible for both sides. Neither party has anything in common, and yet they can't seem to break up. Why? Because she's so hot. And because those Chinese goods are so cheap. And that's a hard conversation we're going to have to have. What are we going to choose going forward as American people? Explain to me. There's no easy solution, by the way. We're going to talk about our problems. We're going to talk about some solutions. We have some great guests for you. But what's the solution? Let's say you say to me, Jesse, right now, we need to stop buying cheap Chinese goods. And I would say, yes, I agree. Totally. We do need to stop buying cheap Chinese goods. And replace them with what? Is it no one wants to have that conversation? We do have to replace them with something. I don't want their cheap toilet paper anymore. Okay, fine. What are you wiping your rear end with? It's a hard conversation to have. Are we going to force those companies to move back to America? Are you comfortable with that? Should you be comfortable with that? I don't know. These are questions we're going to have to answer. Are you comfortable with the limited federal government pointing at a company and saying, hey, Jesse's Toilet Paper Company, come here. You are moving your factory back to America. Well, okay. 
Let's say you are comfortable with that. Let's say you say, well, we're, it's a national security situation. Jesse has to move his toilet paper out of there. Okay, fine. Well, I can't have slaves here. By the grace of God, we don't do that anymore here in the United States of America. China does. We do not. I have to pay my workers. I have to pay them an actual wage here. So that toilet paper from Jesse's toilet paper that you've enjoyed that was made in China all these years, well, that cost is about to double. Are you okay with that? You're going to have to wrap your mind around certain things when it comes to fighting this war with China. We are in a relationship. Yeah, she's really hot, but she really does do cocaine. And this is a problem. We need to find a way to break up. And this was all before we have this situation that we have. And how much worse could that possibly get? Look at what they've done to us. And rest assured, I've been open about the fact I think our response to this is ridiculous, but that's not the point of tonight's show. The point of the show is this is a Chinese problem. This came from China. And China is 1,000% at fault here. This virus didn't originate in Mexico. It didn't originate in Nebraska. This came from China. Once China had it, knew they had it, they lied about it. They lied to the world about it. Then they began hoarding supplies. Now we're hearing these horrific rumors about them chucking living people in body, bag, body bags into incinerators and then telling the world that they don't have any deaths. It's not just they lied and covered it up, it's that they're still lying and covering it up. And then it came here. And now we have 23,000 by current count Americans dead. Oh, I didn't even mention the jobs. 20 million Americans as we speak unemployed. That number's heading to 30, 40 million by the end of the month. We have to do something. We have to break up. I don't care how good she looks. That's hard. You have to find somebody else to date. Here's Mike Pompeo. There was a lot of discussion today amongst the G7 about the intentional disinformation campaign that China has been and continues to be engaged in. You see it. You see it in the social media. You see it in remarks from a senior people inside the Chinese Communist Party talking about whether this was a U.S. US brought to China. I mean, this is crazy talk. It is crazy talk. And yet they do it, and yet they get away with it, and they're doing it while we're still in a relationship with them. Isn't that insane? Isn't that nuts? Here's them blaming it on U.S. troops. As you know, China tried to say at one point, maybe this stuff now, that it was caused by American soldiers. That can't happen. It's not going to happen. Not as long as I'm president. Uh, it comes from China. Again, that's strange, but both what Pompeo said and what Trump said are totally true, and China doesn't hide these things. China knows what it did. Doesn't that strike you as being bold and just flat-out ridiculous? The world knows this came from China. This is not a mystery. This is not an American thing. It's not a propaganda campaign. But China, they carry around a big stick, and they're not afraid to swing that big stick. And they've proven that time and time and time again. China will blatantly lie and point to us and say, ha, the Americans did it. And everybody knows that's a lie, but it shows to you 
how hostile they are to us, how hostile they've been, not just throughout this crisis, but forever. This is just the latest example of what China has done and what China will do. And to what Pompeo said before about them going on social media, understand this. China does not view this war in the same way that you and I view war. You know, what do we think? We think about the movies, right? There's explosions and bombs and bullets and woo, I'm going to save you. And there's inspirational music. China doesn't view it that way. China views this entire thing as a stealth war. China has spies here. Lots of them. China is in our boardrooms. China's in our government. Is that a radical thing to say, that China's in our government? We have Dianne Feinstein had a Chinese spy as her driver for years. Years. Is it outrageous to make an accusation that China's in our, in our media? I certainly would not want to name names or anything like that. But right about the time that China was insisting, insisting that only certain things be talked about in relation to this virus, the American media, media was echoing those same sentiments. Right about the time that China told everybody that they had zero deaths from coronavirus that day, something that nobody on earth believed, nobody. NBC News repeated that without hesitation, as if it was a fact. We have an issue. We have a Chinese issue. And we need to start addressing that Chinese issue. And if you thought all this was bad, wait till you hear this Brigadier General we're bringing on later to talk about the military capability. We don't like to talk about that, right? Because, look, nobody wants a hot war with China. I don't think we're going to have a hot war with China. I'm not trying to be too extreme on it. But they are our enemy on the world stage, and wars do happen. What if we got in a war with China? How would that go? Are you confident you know? Hang on for that one. Here's Kevin McCarthy. Nobody had an idea by how deadly this was, and mainly what I'd say why. China was not forthcoming. Had China allowed our scientists, our researchers, and our doctors in at the very beginning, we maybe could have contained it just in China where the rest of the world would not have the punishment going before them. You look what we were able to do with Ebola. Contain it just in Africa. And he's right. Ebola breaks out in Africa. Africa didn't try to cover things up. They didn't try to just chuck people in body bags in an incinerator. They immediately said, ah, help. We got a problem here, help. And you know what's amazing about China, what's extra disgusting about them? is their own people were dying. Not scumbag communists. Their own just regular people like you and I. Granted, they eat bats, but that's different. Regular people like you and I are dying. And China hid it. And if they had asked for help, even us, their enemies, if they had said, whoa, hey, uh, we have a disease breaking out here. Would you guys, America, would you guys mind helping? Everybody and their brother knows we would have helped. We would have gladly helped. We would have poured manpower and resources into China to help it con get contained there. But they didn't because they're scum. Oh, reporters, they're all over this now, though. 
Why are there no consequences for China for the misinformation? How do you know there are no shared? consequences? We have been asked. How do you know there are no consequences? What are the consequences, Mr. President? I wouldn't tell you. China will find out. But why would I tell you? People are concerned that they stole. No, you started off by saying, "Why are there no consequences?" A few times. So follow up on your response. Why are there no consequences? How do you know there are no consequences? You're going to find out. I wouldn't tell you. You'd probably be the last person on earth I'd tell. That's so good. <laughs> and you know what? She deserved that. This is a China special, so I'm not going to go off on a media tangent. All I want to say is to all of my members of the American press who watch this show, it would help each and every one of you if every single day you woke up and you looked at a piece of paper that said, it's not about me. And then you set it down and left because that's the real problem there. What was that lady doing? She was not trying to get information on behalf of the American people. She was trying to grandstand. She was trying to become a media star for a day so she could walk back in the boardroom and, oh, good job. Oh, proud of you. Oh, you really got him there. Except it's not about you. It's about people. Oh, you want to hear what China has to say? Here's what China has to say. This is their foreign ministry spokeswoman, Hua Chunying. I'm almost positive I screwed that up. I'm an American. Quote, we'd like to provide support and help to them as our capacity allows. However, these comments by those U.S. politicians are just shameless and morally repulsive. And these slanders, smears, and blame games cannot make up for the lost time, but will only cost more lost time and lives. They're not backing off. They're not backing away. They're not just about to say they're sorry they're going to try to use this because that's what they do. Remember, you can acknowledge or you can ignore that we're in a war with China. China openly acknowledges it. You can be naive or you can embrace it. Look at what they've done. We got Gordon Chang coming up next. I don't know if anybody knows better what goes on inside of China and the things China's trying to do than Gordon Chang. So hang on for that. But now... All of that that I just broke down for you, I know what you're thinking. Jesse, I'm stressed out. It's, it, I got to go to bed and get up to work tomorrow, and I'm not going to be able to sleep. Well, hold on for a second. Are you sure about that? Have you tried Ebb Sleep yet? EBB Sleep? You see, a lot of people, especially these days, they're stressed. You know, we got China. We got jobs. We have a, a virus, a deadly pandemic. We got homeschooled kids. It, it, nothing, everything's crazy right now. And so sleep is hard to come by. And what happens? You lay down at night and your mind starts going 10 miles a minute. And you need, you need help. You don't want to pop pills. You don't want to take drugs. You don't want to get that stuff in your body right now. What you need is ebb sleep. It fits on the front of your head and focuses on keeping that area cool and stress-free. That's right. It's a drug-free solution. And listen. If you go to tryeb.com, that's tryebb.com slash jesse, tryeb.com slash jesse, and you use the promo code jesse, you get $25 off your order. 25 bucks off. Save yourself a little money and get a good night's sleep. Tryeb.com slash jesse.
Joining me now is the man who understands more about China than anyone else I know. He's the author of The Coming Collapse of China, and you can find him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon Chang. Gordon, thank you for joining us again. We obviously have ourselves quite a pickle on our hands here. We have China, who is very much at fault in this whole thing. We have a virus, intentionally or otherwise, that has come to our shores. It's killing people. It's costing us trillions. And yet, if we could snap our fingers and make it disappear tomorrow, we still have plenty of Chinese, you know, aggression, plenty of Chinese aggression in our midst. How do we get them out? I think the first thing we do is get our factories out of China, because uh, once we remove the financial incentives, a lot of elements in American society will not support Chinese communism. And it was really interesting that last Friday, Larry Kudlow, President Trump's senior economic advisor, actually said publicly, well, maybe the United States should pay 100% of the relocation costs for American factories and facilities to get them off of Chinese soil. That really was stunning. This was not from Peter Navarro. This was from Larry Kudlow. In other words, Larry Wall Street Kudlow. Do we have any idea of, one, what that would cost, and two, how beneficial would it even be? I mean, I can tell a business all day long to pack up their shop in China and open up a shop in Sheboygan, but that doesn't do any good if my labor costs are still 10 times as high here as they are in China, correct? Correct. Um, the stock of U.S. investment in China is probably somewhere these days around 275 maybe $300 billion dollars. Um, but that would not be the cost of relocation. Um, when Kudlow talked about this, he didn't say necessarily say relocation back to Sheboygan. Um, this could be relocation to the soil of our friends uh, instead of uh, the soil of uh, an enemy. Um, there are a number of issues involved here, um, but President Trump could actually order this or he could issue orders that would force effectively companies to leave China and he could do that, for instance, under the Trading with the Enemy Act of 1917 or the uh, International Emergency Economic Powers Act of 1977. So um, President Trump pretty much can just do this and um, factories would have to leave China. Gordon, what if President Trump chooses to go this route and chooses to be super aggressive with China, which I love? But I also want to know what's coming on the back end of that. I know China owns a trillion dollars of our debt. I know there are several areas in which we are weaved together with them, sadly. What is China's move if we were to do something that drastic to them? What is a step do you think they would take or might take? I think the biggest vulnerability we have would be um, China's um, making of pharmaceuticals and active pharmaceutical ingredients. Um, and that is going to be something that we need to get off Chinese soil. But until we actually succeed in doing that, um, China has leverage over us. But when it comes to other things like China's holding of treasury obligations, um, that confers actually, I think, no leverage at all. Because you got to think about the way the global financial markets operate. They can't dump it as a practical matter. Uh, matter of fact, um, for them, it's a real advantage to be able to hold treasuries. I mean, why would they want to be in sinking currencies, for instance? Um, so when you look at all of the relationships, um, we basically have got most of the leverage. Okay, so we have that leverage. Why has no president, you know, before Donald Trump, 
use that leverage. And I'm actually not asking to blast away as much as I can't stand him. I'm not asking to blast away at Obama or anyone else. I'm assuming a lot of this happened relatively unwittingly or maybe even just naively. How did we get so ingrained with somebody who quite openly hates us? Well, I think it's because after the end of the Cold War, we felt that we could integrate China into the international system. And this is a thought that goes back uh, to Richard Dixon in that famous foreign affairs article where he says that we cannot afford to let China remain outside of that international system. So we ignored a lot of bad conduct. Um, you know, we tried to pave China into a global system where they would enmesh themselves in treaties, laws, and rules. But what we have found out, Jesse, is that there has been, China's grown, gone in the wrong direction. It's become more hostile, more belligerent, more provocative as it's become stronger. So obviously at this point, we don't really have very much of a choice. Uh, I recognize this is not a partisan issue. Uh, Republicans as well as Democrats, liberals and conservatives are equally guilty of all of this. Um, but right now we're in a situation where we don't have really uh, much of an opportunity to stay with China because China is driving us away. What is North Korea's relationship with China? Because I get conflicting information about this all the time. I get that they're totally separate. I get that they are 100% under the Chinese thumb, that, that Kim Jong-un basically does as he's told. What is the real reality of that relationship? It's a complex relationship, but the reality is that when China wants something, China gets something. The Chinese realize they've got power over the North Koreans, but they also realize that they don't have to use it all the time. Um, so oftentimes they allow the North Koreans to do things which slightly undermine Beijing's interests. But when Beijing really puts the uh, really uh, puts pressure on the Kim family, Kim family gives up. We saw that Kim Jong Un went to Chinese soil four straight times before Xi Jinping returned um, the trip to Pyongyang. That's a real indication of who controls whom. And by the way, China really likes what North Korea does most of the time, even though it looks belligerent, because that keeps us off balance. We send our Secretary of State to Beijing and to plead for China's cooperation. Beijing sort of likes this dynamic. So um, that's why basically it's continued decade in, decade out. Obviously, I love America. I prefer to, uh, to operate under the assumption that we do things better than everyone else, even though that's really naive sometimes. The truth is we don't. Is China the only one playing offense here? Because, I mean, with some of this stuff you've laid out for us, and you've laid it out for us on the show in the past, it really sounds like China's the one holding the puppet strings and we're the one dancing. Are they doing any dancing? Well, they haven't been done dancing because we haven't made them dance. You know, there's been a succession of American leaders who, for various reasons, um, felt China had more power over us than the other way around, or they felt indulgent, or they were just bowing to elements in the U.S. that uh, were benefiting from the relationship with China. So there are a lot of reasons. But the thing that's really bothering is that, at least bothering to me, is that you've had a lot of elites in the U.S. feel closer to elites in China than they did with their fellow Americans. And that, I think, is going to end because we're seeing Beijing um, do things which um, are just so inimical, so detrimental to the United States and the international system that um, even um, friendly Americans, I think, are going to have trouble maintaining those old contacts. 
Gordon, I'm worried about Google and and other country other companies like that. They don't have some gigantic manufacturing center, although I'm sure they actually do. But they don't have a big manufacturing center. We can order them to move back over here. But I know for a fact they they obtain a lot of information on American citizens, and I know for a fact they work closely with China. Should I be worried or not? You should be very worried. Google has three partnerships in Beijing on artificial intelligence. It has one with Peking University, another with Tsinghua University, and and those are the two preeminent institutions in China. Plus, also Google has its AI center um, on its own, um, and this uh, research actually ends up benefiting the Chinese military. And this is one of the things that I think that President Trump should use his emergency powers to end、um, and order Google to come back home. And it's it's not just Google; it's it's other U.S. high tech companies. But they are there in China in circumstances where they are benefiting the Chinese military. In other words, helping the Chinese military be more capable in fighting the United States. That's completely unacceptable. Gordon, lastly, your book is called "The Coming Collapse of China." Okay, that was it was written before this whole coronavirus thing. Are they closer to collapsing, or are we closer to collapsing? How, are, are they looking better after all this? Worse after all this? What's your? I mean, you know, you're the expert. What's where are they at? Well,、um, I wrote that book in 2001, and I said that within 10 years the Communist Party would fall. So maybe I'm the last person on earth to talk about the stability of the Chinese state. But when we're looking at what's occurring there、um, right now,、um, there are signs of severe stress on the Chinese political system. There are signs, of course, of discontent across society. But perhaps most important,、uh, the Chinese economy is deep in contraction, and that is something that many Chinese have never seen before. They don't know what a concept of a recession or a depression is because they've never seen it. Every year has been better than the next until now. So I think that life is pretty difficult for senior Communist Party leaders.、Um, I, I'm not saying that, that they won't get through this, but nonetheless, this is going to be a close-run thing for them. Gordon Chang, you can find him on Twitter at Gordon G Chang. Thank you so much for giving us some time tonight, sir. Oh well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You bet. All right. We have a deadly pandemic right now in the United States of America. That's not exactly news to anybody, and people are out there looking for solutions.、Uh, do we have a treatment yet? Is is there a vaccine? What's what's?、It? And here's the truth of the matter. And look, this is just this is the truth. So many of the diseases you know about that people die from every year, there is no vaccine, there is no cure for them. And as of right now, coronavirus is no different. And Do you know what your best defense against it is? If this is something that worries you, and look, who doesn't it worry a little? Your immune system. Your best solution for it is right inside of you. And Omega XL is an all-natural solution that will boost your immune system. If you're really worried about what's happening out there right now, go to omegaxl.com/jesse. Again, that's omegaxl.com/jesse, and find out what I'm talking about. Look, you Lord willing, work out your body. You read, you work out your mind. Don't you think in this current environment you should be working out your immune system? Omegaxl.com/jesse. You actually get a second bottle free with your first bottle on your first order. Omegaxl.com/jesse.
Joining me now is my friend, somebody who has done a lot to help me along in this business, and obviously the man's show needs no introduction, because you can watch it right here on the first. His name is Buck Sexton. His show is The Buck Sexton Show. First of all, Buck, bro, I am not here to encourage anybody to break the law, and I certainly wouldn't encourage one of my close friends to break the law. But brother, it is time to smuggle your barber into your apartment, man, and the time <laughs> is right now. I mean, I'm at the point where I've been watching some YouTube videos for how to cut your hair at home, and it's going to happen. And the question that I just have is, do I do I live stream it? Because it's going to be a massacre. <laughs> like, it's going to get bad. But at some no, point, I'll tell you there's what only, you know, I don't have the president's level of, like, of, of swoop over the swoop. I don't know. I don't know where it's all going to go, but it's really, as you can tell, man, it's getting out of control here. It is. You know what you need. And people are going to have to look this up. Listen to me, everybody. Look this up as soon as we're done talking tonight. Look up the Floby. There used to be this thing called the Floby where it was like this mini vacuum cleaner. And you could put it on your head and it would suck your hair up into it and shave off on just the level you want. And that's what you need for that kind of lettuce, man. Can't disagree with you. Okay. Quarantine. Quarantine across the United States of America. I have always pushed, obviously, everybody knows how I feel, but I think it's ridiculous. How are you handling it? Because I think a lot of people are tired of the same media pundits going on television when they're still earning a paycheck and they're eating like kings and the Americans are getting wiped out and they're tired of people going on TV and saying, oh, just quit whining and go back inside. You're only watching Netflix. How are you actually doing with it? I'm starting to uh, to fray at the edges a little bit. Um, I'm I'm <laughs> feeling like people are starting to recognize that this is just this is just not what life is supposed to be. We all know that, but uh, we're we're running out of of tolerance for staying indoors pretty much all the time, not seeing our fellow human beings, and you know you see what the what the risks are and and you see what the numbers are and and increasingly I just think people want to be able to make their own determinations about what's safe for themselves and, and the, the immediate people in their vicinity, at least, instead of, I mean, some of these really extreme lockdowns. In Michigan, you can't even go from one house you own to another house you own. It's like, what, what are we even doing? So, you know, man, I, I think that the uh, big problem here is you've had the confluence of panic from the government that failed us because the government at the, particularly the public health authorities, didn't see this coming, didn't know, didn't prepare. And then also seeing this as the biggest opportunity to just crush the Trump presidency and make sure that a Democrat gets elected in the fall. Those two things have come together and it's very hard to have a reasonable discussion about how long are we all gonna be under house arrest? How much, how much of this do we really have to endure? You know, we kind of have turned into this just two, we two more weeks, two more weeks, 30 days, two more weeks. Uh, I don't know how many more weeks I've got in me before I just start wandering around the streets in my boxers saying, like, when is the madness going to stop, dude? This is getting pretty nuts. Buck, obviously we're talking a lot about China tonight. It's our, it's our China special. And to, to your point that you just brought up, I am not comfortable becoming China just because we get sick. And look, I don't, I don't want to overstate it. I realize we're not welding people into their homes the way China did, 
But we are forcing people to stay in their homes. We are placing pastors under arrest. We are issuing tickets to people who dare to attend a church service. We are informing on our fellow citizens all the t all over this country. We're springing prisoners from jail, which is the most odd solution to this problem I've ever heard in my entire life. We're pointing at businesses and saying, you're allowed to open and you're not allowed to open and you must close and you have to close. And this sounds, I mean, look, we're doing an entire show on China tonight. It does not appear that the virus is the worst thing we brought here from China. This is not America. This is not freedom. Well, you have to remember that some of the biggest uh, names in the Democrat Party and, and left-wing commentary, you know, Tom Friedman over the New York Times, however you want to describe his politics, they've been expressing uh, some degree of admiration for the Chinese command control, not just economy, but, but society for a long time. They think that China is able to tackle... You know, the, the challenges of, of what we would say is the Green New Deal better because, you know, the smart people, the experts, are just going to tell everybody else what to do. Uh, and, and there are so many examples throughout history. That, I mean, history is really full of, of crises where the experts were put in charge to handle the crisis and the results were disastrous. So, I mean, one thing that they don't think about with the Chinese model is what it took to get to the point for them to open up markets China, in living memory, I mean, a lot of people, if, if your parents are boomers, they, they live through uh, they live through this. Uh, China killed forty to sixty million of its own people with policies about how to how to raise uh, how to make food, essentially. I mean, how to run your agricultural system. So the Chinese government being in charge of everything right now over there, and the way that we're talking about it here, yeah, uh, there does seem to be a, a bit of a fondness on the left for the Chinese approach to dealing with not just you know the, the economics, but also dealing with just day-to-day -day activities, as long as it's for your own good, Jesse. It's for your own good. The experts have told you this. Do, do we have a Chinese problem here, Buck? And I mean within the country. I mean, we have people like Senator Feinstein who had a Chinese spy driving for her. We've had to deport Chinese professors at some of our most prestigious universities. China has admitted flat out to hacking us. We know they've gone after our NSA before. And we have, and look, I'm not, I'm not accusing every paper as hackish as they are of being under the Chinese thumb. But look, when you have major news organizations, the oldest one in the country, NBC News, flat out repeating Chinese propaganda that no deaths today, what am I supposed to take from that, Buck? Well, you know, the, the Chinese government has spent, and you know, I know just in case Media Matters is watching, you know, when we talk about a Chinese problem, right, we're talking about the Chinese Communist Party, and of course, no one's referring to a billion people as, as a problem. Uh, when you look at what the Chinese government is doing here and what they've been able to do in terms of influence operations, something that anybody who's a student of the Cold War with the Soviet Union would understand very well, uh, the Chinese are far ahead of where the Soviet Union was in their ability to control political conversations, media depictions, pop culture here. They are way ahead of where the Soviet Union was because the Chinese figured something out in this process. The Chinese government figured out that our pressure point is financial. That if you really wanna control American society, and the Soviets were always looking at, looking at ways to get fellow travelers to essentially get the commie left in this country to back them up on things for, for ideological reasons, usually. The Soviets weren't, you know, giving people $10 million because, like, they didn't have it to, to spy for them for the most part, and, and they weren't using that as the prime... I mean, the primary fuel wasn't money. The Chinese are saying, do you want access to our markets? Then you're going to present the product this way. 
Do you want access to the, you know, the most, uh, the most powerful, fastest growing economy in the world outside of the United States? Then you're going to answer uh, these questions in the way that we tell you. That's a tremendous amount of leverage that they've had for years and years. I mean, the NBA, I think, is when people kind of realize, wow, this even even ultra rich international celebrity NBA superstars are going to say, well, I mean, I don't want to upset China. So let's pretend that Hong Kong isn't a thing that's happening. That's where we've really seen the change, I think, in consciousness, just how powerful the, 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 the party line, truly the communist party line coming out of China is in our discourse and our discussions about it. It's bad news. Bad news. Buck Sexton of the Buck Sexton Show right here on the first. Try to keep it together, my man. Get yourself here. Got to do it. <laughs> Be good. All right. We're not done just yet. We got a lot more good stuff for you. Hang on. Well, we need an actual military perspective on all this because we've broken down every other part of it we possibly can. And I can't think of anybody better to break that down for us than Brigadier General Robert Spaulding, retired U.S. Air Force and senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. Basically, this is the smartest human being alive. General, first of all, can you explain the differences between China and us militarily because a lot of people don't they don't realize that there is a difference maybe they're better at this we're better at that or are we better at everything or are they better at everything what are the differences well primarily as it applies to their neck of the woods which is the uh, first and second island chain in the indo-pacific they're actually quite advanced in terms of their ballistic missile and cruise missile technology Of course, the United States was a member of the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty with Russia, and that treaty prevented us from building intermediate range ballistic and cruise missiles in the ranges of approximately 500 to 5,500 kilometers. And the Chinese Communist Party used that as a means to build thousands, literally thousands of these weapons very cheaply and target both our aircraft carriers and bases that we have in the region. So they've created a very cheap and efficient deterrent um, capability with these conventionally armed ballistic and cruise missiles in, in the intermediate ranges. And we don't have currently a counter with, counter for that. The president recently, last August, uh, pulled out of the INF treaty to give us the opportunity. We still haven't built those weapons in addition The Chinese Communist Party has been pouring out naval vessels in the region. In fact, they have a bigger navy now than we do. So in their their neck of the woods, they're far more capable conventionally than we are. Of course, the other element to this is nuclear. They have what, what they call as a minimum deterrence policy. So they have a minimum amount of nuclear weapons. We have a much larger amount of nuclear weapons. And more importantly, we have much more capable submarines and of course, we have the B-2 stealth bomber. So nuclear-wise, we're far superior to them. Conventionally, in their backyard, they're far superior to us. Now, if we're talking about an away fight, uh, away from the Indo-Pacific, then we're far more capable of deploying uh, conventional uh, troops and arms in other places. That being said, 
we rely a lot on the Chinese for logistics, both the things that we that we uh, deploy, so the manufactured goods, a lot of the petroleum, uh, the processed petroleum products, and um, and we uh, rely on their shipping. They have an extensive, far larger, um, you know, seven thousand ships. Uh, commercial ships to R300 or so. So they have a far larger ability to deploy logistics around the world. We do rely on them for a lot of the things that we do today in the military. Well, I, look, you're the general, I was a lowly corporal, but that sounds to me like a major issue if they have a fortress of missiles around them and they take care of the supply lines what can we do to them over there? I realize we're not going to have the Chinese crossing and invading our shores, but it sounds to me like, and look, this is obviously a million miles away and nobody wants a hot war with China, but should it ever come to that, it doesn't sound to me like we can do a heck of a lot to them. Well, if you think about it, in, in a lot of ways, we need to kind of re, uh, reach into our bag of tricks from the Cold War and pull out an old strategy. In fact, uh, in the Cold War, the, the Russians, the Soviets actually far outnumbered us in conventional weaponry in Europe. In the Fold of Gap, we had really no capability of meeting them there. Uh, their tank superiority and fired fighter jets and all their troops in terms of numbers were far larger than, than ours. And in, in essence, what we did is relied on nuclear weapons to deter conflict. And that became the mutually assured destruction policy where we said, if you attack in Europe, we're gonna use everything we have against you. And that's really what kept the peace. And I think in order to go forward and actually be able to be a dominant economy and dominate in science and technology, which is again, what we did in the Cold War, we focused on building our economy, our manufacturing, our science and technology research. And in, in, uh, in military, we focused on convention or nuclear deterrence. And of course, science and technology allowed us to leapfrog them. We, we did things like GPS and stealth weapons and, and networked warfare. So all of those things are things that we need to go back to and really focus on the military as a deterrent and then focus on building our economy and our infrastructure and our on our manufacturing again. Tell me about, you mentioned there are no countermeasures for all these cruise missiles that apparently, I mean, that paints a pretty bleak picture on my mind for, for instance, you know, an aircraft carrier group going overseas and actually accomplishing anything. It sounds to me like they'd be at the bottom of the ocean before they got close. And you say we don't have countermeasures is this one of those things that's easily possible, as in we're going to have them in six months to a year? Is this technology that doesn't exist at all and we're pretty much screwed? Well, we would have to basically rethink our, our, our weapons posture and our acquisition policy. So rather than buying thousands of F-35s and hyper expensive nuclear subs and hyper expensive aircraft carriers, we would have to manufacture in bulk intermediate range ballistic and cruise missiles, essentially position them around the uh, perimeter with our allies in the Philippines and Taiwan and Japan and, and Korea, and really provide a like capability to the Chinese. We could do this actually quite cheaply and quite easily. And those, those weapons are very hard to war game against. In fact, you may remember the Scud hunt uh, in the first Gulf War, it's very difficult to find mobile ballistic missiles. That would create a, a conventional deterrent to go along with our nuclear deterrent at a very cost-effective and affordable um, resource allocation. So we don't have to break the bank. 
what we've built is a military that really plays well in the Middle East and in some respects Europe, but not when facing mobile ballistic and cruise missiles. We really need to rethink the force posture that we put in the Indo-Pacific. I'm sorry to press you on this so much, General, but I have heard this from people I trust in the military before, and this whole thing absolutely fascinates me with the missiles and the defense they've built up. You brought up the naval vessels and the quality, because I mean, like everybody knows, anyone who knows anything about military and how they function, especially in the Navy, that just advanced technologies by a few years can make entire navies obsolete because one ship can wipe entire ones out. How much better is ours than theirs? Oh, clearly in terms of combat capability, we have superior uh, weapons. The problem is, is when you get into numbers. And so you know this, when you're out of bullets, anybody can, can shoot you back and you don't really have an ability to defend yourself. And essentially that means that mass has a mass all of its own. And so if you have more numbers, even if we can say kill 10 to every one they have, if they have 20, that means the other 10 are there to kill you. That's what they're building. They're building mass. That's what the Soviets built conventionally, and that's what we're dealing with now in the Indo-Pacific. How do they have the money for this? And I, and I genuinely mean that. I understand their economy is roughly as big as ours, and they're going up and down, and we're going up and down, and I get all these things. But everything you just described sounds awfully expensive to me, and they still have a country of a billion people. While I understand most of that slave labor, how do they function as a nation while spending this kind of money on the military? Well, they have purchasing power parity, which means you mentioned the slave labor. They have lower wages. Their, their um, shipyards function much more inexpensively. Of course, they don't have the high quality of their naval vessels, so they can pour out a whole lot more. In fact, they're pulling out, I think, one every six weeks, a surface combatant. You know, we just can't match those numbers. We put out a ship every two to three years. And so, as I said, when you're talking about the quantity of vessels they're putting out, it's very difficult when we run out of ammunition to really fight them all. So that's the issue that we have today. And more importantly, they're actually using our own retirement funds to build this Navy. So they're using, they're selling stocks in Chinese companies and they're turning around and bonds and using that money to build aircraft carriers and surface combatants and other military uh, weaponry. General, obviously everybody likes to war game. What if we have to go to China? What if we have to go to China? And I don't want to get too red dawn here. And I realize we're talking about something we don't ever want to have happen. What if they came here? What if that became a possibility? What does that look like? How set up are we for something like that? Oh, actually, they're already here. You know, uh, you remember Daryl Morey almost got fired for tweeting uh, about Hong Kong. That's what that's the way that the Chinese Communist Party goes to war. They get into our corporations, they get into Wall Street, they get into our think tanks, they get into our universities, they get into our research labs, and they begin to not only take our technology, I already told you they're taking our investment dollars. They're also taking over our companies and essentially co-opting a lot of the corporate leaders and a lot of leaders in Wall Street, a lot of the think tanks. When I was in the White House trying to get a think tank to expose the influence of the Chinese Communist Party was impossible because they're all receiving funds in some way or another. Either their board of directors are highly co-opted by the Chinese Communist Party or they themselves are getting money. 
Plus, you have all the consultants and all the lobbyists that are in Washington, D.C. So essentially, this is a way the Chinese go to war. They use money and finance and the market pool of 1.4 billion Chinese to influence others on, on how they do things. Brigadier General Robert Spalding, thank you so much for giving us some time today, sir. That was outstanding. I'd steal you for an hour if I could, but I know you're a busy man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Well, I hope that was eye-opening for you about where we've been, where we are now, where we're going, and the things we need to do. Look, it's not a time right now. It's not a time to lay down and cry, to give up, to say it's hopeless, that we lost to China. No, we have not. We have a whole bunch of advantages here. What we need is to continue to take this threat seriously. And you know what? You have to give credit to the Trump administration, the first president in a long time, to take this threat seriously. Make sure you keep electing people who do the same. All right. I know you enjoyed it. See you. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of The Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working undercover. Now I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money, Bam, I give her $100. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.